Introduction to the Bible. Hi, I'm Pia Thompson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a Bible teacher and the author of Benaiah, Mighty Man of God, a novel about one of King David's mighty men. We're about to embark on a study of the Bible called the Bible Companion Series, which is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. In order to bring that into focus, I will add a section at the end of each chapter to reveal the scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the Gospel. The Bible is one book, but it contains 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament, which are related to each other in theme but can be studied individually. The Hebrew Bible, which Christians call the Old Testament, contains these same books, but they are arranged in a different order. They range in size from Obadiah, which is one short chapter, to the Book of Psalms, with 150 chapters. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, so if you wanted to read through it in a year, you would need to read three to four chapters per day. And this is a worthwhile exercise, and there are many different Bible reading guides you can use. You can read through directly, or mix Old and New Testament readings, but I prefer to read chronologically, which is also why this podcast is set up that way. That way, you're reading David's Psalms as you're reading about the events he's writing about, and you're reading the prophets who were speaking to the kings in the historical books. And you read about Daniel, Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah after Judah is exiled to Babylon instead of before. Then in the New Testament, we'll harmonize the Gospel accounts and study the epistles in the order they're believed to have been written in. The Bible is the Word of God, or the Scriptures. That the Bible is called the Word of God is based on the fact that no less than 1,150 times we're told, God spoke, God said, the Lord said, or this is what the Lord says. We are also told that he told Moses, or Joshua, or the prophets, or the Apostle John, to write what they have seen and heard from him. We don't make it the Word of God. We just acknowledge that that's what it is. I should make a few things clear. I believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. That means I believe it contains no errors in the original format and that it does not lead a person wrong. I believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture, that it is God-breathed and the writers were led along so that even the choice of words was orchestrated by God while the individual writing styles were still evident. I believe it extends to the whole Bible, not just sections of it. It was written over 1,600 years in three languages, uh, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, by over 40 authors in different countries. Some were fishermen, some were prophets, some were kings, shepherds, or historians. It was written in the desert, in prisons, and in temples. Yet it has one theme unifying all 66 books, the story of how God stepped into history to redeem his people. It has stood the test of time. While not arranged chronologically, it has a historical progression. There are shorter narratives, which is a word I prefer to stories, which can make it sound like they may or may not be true, uh, within a meta-narrative or a larger redemption story. 
The Bible has been translated into 2,400 languages, more than any other book. It is an ancient book, and is reli its reliability can be trusted. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, some feared the copies of scripture would be vastly different from what we had 2,000 years later. But they were virtually the same. There are over 24,000 copies of New Testament manuscripts copied within 35 years of the writer's death, unlike other ancient books like Homer's Iliad. With the invention of the printing press in 1450, the first book to be printed was the Bible. It has been read and printed more than any other book. Over the centuries, many kings and governments have tried to outlaw the Bible, destroy it, or imprison and kill anyone who had a copy of it. In AD 300, the Roman Emperor Diocletian ordered every Bible burned because he thought if he could get rid of the scriptures, he could destroy Christianity. Anyone caught with the Bible was executed. But just 25 years later, Constantine ordered 50 copies of the Bible be printed at government expense. Archaeological research is conducted in places based on information in the Bible, and places like Ur and Jericho, which some doubted the existence of, or people like King David, Belshazzar, or Pontius Pilate, all were proven to be real people and places. You can never go wrong trusting what you read there, as it will all be proven eventually. The Bible can be trusted because of the character of God, who cannot lie. The Bible begins at the beginning with creation. The existence of God is not explained, but it is implied. They don't announce, there was this all-powerful being, and before anything existed, he decided to create the world and everything in it. Instead, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It explains where we came from, we were created by the direct personal act of God, why we were created, to have fellowship with him and worship him, and what went wrong, the fall. It documents paradise lost and concludes with our future when paradise is restored. It is divided into two main sections called the New Old Testament and the New Testament, but it would be more accurate to call them the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There is a variety of styles of writing in the scriptures, history, poetry, prose, and apocalyptic. There is action and romance, songs and proverbs. The first five books are called the Torah, Pentateuch, or five scrolls. They are believed to have been written by Moses and are classified as law. Then there are the historical books, then wisdom literature, prophets, gospels, epistles, and prophecy. Sometimes it is divided as Torah, or law, prophets, and writings. In the New Testament, Jesus mentions the Old Testament scriptures as the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, which was the traditional designation for the three divisions of the Hebrew canon. So canon refers to the collection of books recognized as inspired scripture. The canon was closed by the first century, although the accepted books weren't compiled into a list until around the year 300, and this was made official due to rising heresies. Jesus trusted these scriptures, and there is no record of any disputes about the accepted books by Jesus or his enemies. 
Jesus and the other New Testament writers quote the Old Testament scriptures over 295 times and appealed to it as the final authority on a matter. The New Testament scriptures were books written either by the, by the apostles or their associates. The books are related through themes. They are all about Jesus Christ. He doesn't just show up in the New Testament, but is present in types and shadows, which I'll point out in each chapter. The Old Testament timeline is roughly divided like this. The patriarchs, the exodus, conquest and settlement, the United Kingdom, the Divided Kingdom, Judah alone, Babylonian exile, return and restoration. The key event in the Old Testament is the exodus from Egypt, and the key event in the New Testament is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, procuring our exodus from the power and penalty of sin. Romans 15.4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And this refers to the Old Testament scriptures, which at the time this verse was written were the only scriptures they knew. And this tells us that all those recorded stories and psalms and proverbs, history and prophecy, were meant to teach and encourage us. Biology is the study of life. Bio means life, and study, uh, ology means study. Theology has been called the queen of sciences because there is no greater topic to study than God himself. But unlike other sciences, in theology, we sit under our subject, waiting to learn what he will reveal about himself. For it is, it is only by revelation that we know anything at all about God. We can't put him under a microscope. Such a God wouldn't be worthy of worship. So how do we know anything about God at all? First, he has revealed himself in creation. We see that in Psalm 19, 1-4. We see his power and goodness, his design and providence. Throughout the world, no matter the language, the book of creation shouts that God exists, but men willingly suppress this knowledge. Romans 1, 18-20 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people, who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So knowing that God is creator leaves us without excuse that he exists, but it doesn't tell us how to get right with this God. For that, we need another book, the Bible, the written word of God. It's here that we hear the bad news that man sinned, and we hear from narrative after narrative the tragic effects of that fall. And we also see God's mercy, forgiveness, and love demonstrated throughout history again and again. History has rightly been called his story. We see the arrival of the person of the Son of God, the promised Deliverer. This is the good news. Gospel means good news. We read about his perfect life and the defeat of sin on the cross of Calvary. In the letters or epistles, we learn the implications of the life of Christ on the life of the believer. 
And finally, we get a glimpse of things to come when we are finally free from sin forever. Christ came to deliver us from the penalty of sin. The Holy Spirit was sent to save us from the power of sin. And when we get to heaven, we'll be free from the presence of sin. Done, done, and done. And that's why it's worthwhile to study theology. In studying our great subject, we learn to know him personally as he reveals more and more of himself. He is a truly inexhaustible subject and will be forever learning new things about him throughout eternity. It's like the gospel is a multifaceted diamond. Every way you look at it, you see something you haven't seen before, and it is amazing. John Wesley has said, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. God himself has condescended to teach me the way. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me that book of God. Let me be a man of one book. If I were a castaway on a deserted island and could have only one book, I would choose the Bible. If you take any other book, it's always the same, but the Bible is alive. It keeps revealing more new things about God every time we read it. Life is short, and even if we were to study God's Word our whole life, we could only conclude that there is still so much to know that we don't even know how much we don't know. We are fallen creatures. Sin distorts our view of God. We come to wrong conclusions. And God knows more than us, both quantitatively and qualitatively. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They are profound. We will never know him fully, but we can know him truly. He has told us all we need to know. He sets the standard of right and wrong, and as creatures we are to obey. We cannot simply allow conscience to be our guide, regardless of what Jiminy Cricket says. Conscience can become seared, 1 Timothy 4.2. It is fallible, but God's word is infallible, and because its origin is God, it is authoritative. A few notes about hermeneutics or Bible interpretation. The first principle is to keep a text within a contest. context. Ask, is it in the Old Testament or New? What is the occasion of the text, before or after exile to Babylon? What kind of writing is it? Is it narrative or poetry or teaching? Look at the word in context of the sentence, then the sentence in context of the paragraph, the paragraph in context of the chapter, the chapter within the book, the book within um, the covenant. Then it's important to draw any instructions from clear passages over obscure passages and from teaching sections that address it rather than teasing it out of a narrative section. Because Revelation is progressive, understand that truth shines brightest in the New Testament. One is impossible to understand without the other. The theologian Augustine of Hippo said, The new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. So my reason for producing the podcast was so that after I'm gone, my children and grandchildren can hear my voice and thoughts, and therefore a legacy is passed on that is of more worth than any inheritance they may receive. And while it may sound arrogant to presume they'd care to hear my thoughts, When I think about how my father was killed in a workplace accident when I was three and how much I would have loved hearing his voice or reading something he had written to know his thoughts, 
That is one of the motivations behind the podcast itself and then the books to follow, which are permanent written records of the podcasts. As the Apostle Peter said, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So the idea behind the whole series is for me to be your companion as you read the Bible day by day. I'll sit down beside you and we'll read one chapter a day and I'll explain the meaning and apply it through the scarlet threads found there. Producing the podcast episodes have driven me to study each chapter more in depth. And here's my method of preparation. After prayer, I read the chapter and comment on it and the meaning of the portion of scripture, as well as applications to life, based on what I have been taught over the years. I compare scripture with scripture, since most study Bibles have marginal references. What did we ever do before BibleGateway.com? Then I refer to the MacArthur Study Bible to explain anything I don't understand. I have used several other resources, including D.A. Carson's two-volume series, For the Love of God, and the Evidence Bible by Ray Comfort, and um, the Family Worship Bible Guide, which is produced by Reformation Heritage Books and various other books. So I've quoted them as necessary. And my suggestion for its use is that you also read the First, the chapter in question, and then listen to the corresponding message about it. And my hope is that this will help you to love the Bible more, even those less exciting parts of Scripture, and will make you fall in love with the author of Scripture and worship him. I don't presume to be a scholar. I was an oncology nurse for almost 30 years before I had to medically retire because of several chronic illnesses. If you want to delve into the original languages of the Bible and every cultural nuance, there are are books far superior to mine, written by people with outstanding intellects. But I do feel God has given me the gift of studying and sharing what I've studied. My prayer is that you will be blessed by it. If it sends you back to the Bible, you can't help but be blessed. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 1. May God bless the study of his word.